Wishing you all a super warm welcome to Connecting with Purpose, where we connect with winners and thought leaders from multiple sectors to provide you with a 360 degree view on purpose. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. Our purpose to inspire you to unlock your potential and optimize your performance and impact. Welcome to Connecting with Purpose, episode number five, uh, where we welcome a good friend of mine, Mike Geddes, who is the Chief Purpose Officer at the Oakland Roots Soccer Club. Um, I've known Mike for many years, actually. We've been, uh, we shared some work together in the sports-based social impact sectors um, for a number of years. He's uh, primarily focused on using a soccer ball, mine with a rugby ball, but given soccer's the biggest sport in the world, I can't really hold that against him. Um, Mike's uh, enjoyed an incredible career, purpose-driven, um, really every turn, right from um, early days being a BBC soccer reporter through to leading um, one of the senior leaders with a global non-profit organisation called Street Football World, which did some incredible work um, with them serve communities around the globe using soccer, including working on the social legacy uh, for the 2010 FIFA World Cup. Um, Mike is currently co-founder and Chief Purpose Officer for the Oakland Roots, which happens to be the first pro sports team in the USA to be founded purely on purpose. So, Mike, uh, welcome to Connecting with Purpose. What a great guest. Thanks, Mark. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so if you've seen any of our previous episodes of this, you, you know what's coming, um, which is that I'd like you to challenge yourself to look back on your career, which obviously has been super interesting and must have been some amazing highlights and very fulfilling. But if you had to narrow it down to sort of three magic moments that just sort of spring to mind for you, um, you know, what would they be? And I'll just give you a little context around magic moments that they are a benchmark experience in your life. If you have to give it a score, you give it a 10 out of 10. Um, and if you were therefore to come up with three of those, um, what name would you give each of them and what is it that made them a magic uh, moment? Yeah, well, um, I guess we have to put aside things like birth of your child and things and kind of just take it as read that those things are 10 out of 10 moments. And I'll talk about my career now, just in, just in case the wife is listening. You're um, not the first person that said that, Mike. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, great. Um, yeah, I think I always talk about the first moment because it was the time when I really started to divert from the path that I was on. You know, the path I was on, you talked about my earlier career as a, as a reporter, and I was very fortunate to do a job that I loved, um, reporting on soccer, basically, for the BBC. So um, I was in Mozambique making a documentary about a guy called Carlos Quiroz, who at that time was the assistant coach in Manchester United and is from Mozambique, which I found quite interesting. And I was making a documentary with him about his roots and where he came from. And we were halfway through a journey through the country up to a village in the north where he was born. And we were shooting the sunrise um, on a, in a place called Mozambique Island, which is a really magical place. It's an old colonial fort that um, has been abandoned and then reclaimed and now has its own community. It sits out on the bay in these beautiful kind of blue waters um, in the north of Mozambique. And we were just, we were, you know, getting, getting shots of the sunrise as you do. And and um, setting up the cameras and waiting for the sun to come up and, and uh, a couple of kids came and sat down next to us and the cameraman and I thought well you know this is just they just haven't seen you know white people before or they're interested to know what we're doing and then a couple of more kids came and a couple of more kids came and a couple of more kids came and there's about 20 of them eventually we thought well we're not we're not this interesting I and mean, we're not doing anything we just got a camera set up and then the sun came up and the kids all got up and started playing football and they didn't, they didn't stop until the sun went back down again. And uh, it really sort of made me realize at that time, wow, this, this sport, this, this thing, which, you know, at that time I was involved in the, the elite level of it, you know, the, the Premier League and things. And that was exciting. But then I thought, God, this thing is way more powerful than I actually believed or, or understood. Um, and that moment was definitely, I mean, let's call it, I don't know, awakening, um, if that's not too trite, um, definitely was a light bulb moment for me, call it light bulb if that's better. Um, and that, that really got me thinking that this, this, this work that I was very privileged to do, or this, this thing that I was in, immersed in, football, soccer, um, was way more than just a sport. It was a incredibly powerful social phenomenon. Um, 
and I started to think differently then about how I wanted to use my time. Um, so fast forward from that a little bit, and I think you talked a bit about the social legacy of the World Cup in South Africa. And one of the things that we did was we organized a tournament, um, almost like a mini World Cup um, during the World Cup in South Africa, but for um, kids from programs using soccer as a tool for social change. So we, we also brought 32 teams and we also had a soccer tournament, but these were all kids from, you know, street kids from Cambodia or from Iraq or from Rwanda or from, you know, Kennington in London and, and a very different type of tournament. But the idea behind it was to celebrate the social power of the game on the same level as the, the global celebration that is the World Cup. And uh, we, uh, you know, the World Cup in South Africa, there were, you know, a lot of comments about how the game wasn't touching the majority of the population. You know, the majority of the population couldn't access the tickets, couldn't access the game. So we chose to take our event into a township called Alexandria in the center of Johannesburg. So the challenge of bringing that level of event into a community like Alexandria during the World Cup and accommodating all the demands of FIFA was enormous <laughs> took us it took us three years um but you know being there as the south african president um and all these people were there opening the event in in this township in a place that otherwise the world cup would never have gone there was definitely and i'm trying to think of a one word answer to to name this one um that was uh Ah, uh, man, I don't know. I mean, we were proud of that moment. It was an achievement, but it also felt like this is scratching the surface. You know, it was it mm. was it was a milestone. Call it a milestone. How's that, Mark? Uh, because it, it it really brought home what was possible, but it also opened up, you know, what else we thought we could do. And and the next phase for me from that moment was, you know, we'd done a lot of work on the the straight charity side if you like you know so okay here's the world cup this elite level event and now let's do something alongside it which is kind of a nod to this this other purpose the game has and and that that was how that type of work was approached um it was a it was not an afterthought but it wasn't the main event right it was okay we've done our real work and now here's something for for the kids if you like and that felt incomplete to me. Um, I, I didn't feel like the journey was going to be complete until you had thought about, well, how do you, how do you reform the business model essentially? And, and you know, that, that purpose revolution as it's often termed was just getting going that in business still didn't really exist in sports uh, to think, you know, we can do however much charity good we like, but if we don't reform the fundamental models, which we've built our society on, they're going to collapse. Um, and so that started me then on a journey of trying to find a way to um, impact the actual business of sport and, and think about how can I, again, working within my passion, how can I um, try and make the business a better place and therefore the planet a better place? And again, lots of fast forwarding, but um, the, the Oakland roots, um, which I didn't, I didn't move to Oakland intending to start a football club, but it happened because when I moved here and met the the other co-founders who are from this area and they told me about the idea, it, it sort of um, it was everything that I that I'd wanted to do. Um, you know, starting something and embedding purpose at the in the beginning, and I and I think the moment there of um, um, of the sort of the sort of uh, magic moment there was our very first game. Um, from a sporting perspective, it wasn't a success. You know, we were three nil up after twenty minutes, and we drew three three. So, <laughs> sporting wise, it was a disaster. But honestly, it was like it was like we'd won the World Series because the stadium was packed out. You know, we 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 didn't know if any we didn't know if anyone would come. I mean, we were a independent minor league soccer team in a city that you know had not had a soccer team for many many years. That had the Golden State Warriors next door, the Oakland A's next door. Uh, Raiders still at that time, um, brand new, no track record, uh, just a bunch of normal people, no billionaires, and had no clue if anyone would would show up for the game. Um, and it was packed out. We had about four or five thousand people in the stadium, and um, it was very very special. 
um just just seeing that many people come out and turn up and show up because of the purpose because at that time that's all we'd had to promise them um was was a great moment and i'm trying to think of a nice pithy one word for that but um uh i don't know um you'll have to come up with that one for me i think mark those i think are three moments that definitely stand out i'm sure there's many more well i you know i I don't if i did say i was limiting you to one word i apologize because i'm going to use three which is bums on seats Um, (laughs) a great one great one (laughs) yeah yeah because i mean that's brilliant that you said that they you you generally feel they turned up because of the purpose um so what was what was it that attracted them um, about the purpose? Like, how did you share that um, with the community? And and to what extent do you think that was the, yeah, that was the hook that, that got them intrigued and, and sort of came came along in numbers like that? That's amazing, an amazing start. Yeah. Um, so we were very, um, you know, when we talk, a lot of people talk about being purpose driven and it is easy to talk about it. Um, what we tried to do was, Instead of, you know, what happens a lot in sports, I think, is that the structures have evolved over, you know, sometimes hundreds of years. And, um, you know, at a certain point, um, it, you know, it was part of a process in the UK and in America, it was more from the word go. The commercialization of the entity was was paramount. Right. And um, what happens a lot, especially what we've seen the last couple of years is teams suddenly having to start finding their purpose or kind of reliving their purpose are trying to um, adjust, align, you know, make up for bad things that they've done. Um, but at the, at the core, you've got this unchangeable um, construct, which is often we have a group of investors or we're floated on the stock market and we need to make money. And if that's at your core, um, it's challenging sometimes to make decisions which might run counter to the purely you know base level extractive model of of capitalism um don't get me wrong we have investors we absolutely do but the our investors have bought into the idea that at our core is our purpose which is to harness the magic of oakland and the power of sports as a force for social good and um what we've tried to do is build that into the um the structure of the organization, the fabric. I mean, I have a job because of that purpose. Um, other sports teams don't have a chief purpose officer. We have one because we feel that it is essential to invest at that level um, so that you stay true to it. And, and then we also have you know, structures of the organization and decision-making processes which ensure that that purpose is not just sitting on a wall or in an employee handbook and, and never actually actualized. Um, and that was that was our goal from the beginning and we obviously tried to apply that philosophy to the specific um city of oakland which is a city that like many others has suffered a lot um at the hands of you know um society gentrification its sports teams ownerships groups you know they've been um the sports fans i would say are used to being treated badly and um it's a very proud town um you know similar I, I grew up in leeds see a lot of similarities with how proud people are of the of the city sports teams and um that's what people want they want they want a team which they feel cares about them and and that um represents their values as well and so that's what we wanted to create and uh, we wanted to make sure that we weren't limiting our appeal to people who just were fans of soccer i mean we want those people absolutely but we also didn't just want those people because here in the united states the the typical kind of soccer demographic is not representative of the society as a whole. Uh, various reasons for that and how the game is is administered here or how it has historically been run, um, which creates geographic, financial and social and cultural barriers to people of colour. Um, so we wanted to make sure that it was a team for everyone, that it was a team that appealed to Oaklanders first, um, even if they weren't soccer fans before, because their goal is that if they come and they engage with the team because they like Oakland, then maybe they'll become soccer fans. And that's great for us. So we were very blessed to have very talented people who understood how to take that concept and turn it into something tangible, into a brand. Um, and we we spent a long time listening to people. Um, we didn't rush into, and this is a mistake I think a lot of a lot of teams make. We didn't rush into like putting out the brand. Here's our logo. 
here's the explanation of why you should care about this logo. Um, we didn't put anything out until we felt we knew what people wanted to see. And then we were, again, fortunate to have talented people who could bring that to life. And um, yeah, I mean, we, we partnered, for example, with a local social enterprise, which is a clothing brand um, called Oglandish um, as our lifestyle partner. So very well established. People know them, know the brand. We were selling merchandise in their store and, and they would say that 50% of people who buy this stuff don't even know it's a soccer team. They think, it, they, they think it's an Oakland brand. And that's great for us because those are, those are new potential fans. Um, and I would say that, you know, that moment I talked about when at our first game, I think what was, what was truly gratifying was seeing people, seeing, seeing a stadium full of people and it looked like Oakland and people said it looked like Oakland, you know, and this, this is a city which has and is struggling against uh, gentrification, against displacement, against um, input of capital, which is pushing out the original um, or a lot of the, you know, um, uh, a lot of the original kind of residents and culture. And, and people, you know, people want to be proud of the city that, that they've built. Um, and, and it felt like they'd come out to our game to, to celebrate that, which was great because that's what we want to be. Essentially, we want to be a place where people come together and, and are happy. Um, you know, when I think about how to quantify the success of the team, for me, it's not, it's not winning at number one. It's not making money at number one. But those things are important. Um, absolutely, we want to do them. We have to do them in order to be successful. But to me, our goal is to contribute to the health, equity, and happiness of the city of Oakland. And we have a role to play in that, um, which is not the biggest role in the city, but it's, it can work in partnership with all the other actors who are striving for the same thing. And there is, a, there is an important role, I think, that sports teams have to play in communities, especially these days. You know, you and I are British. We grew up with this concept of teams, clubs being about the community first and foremost. And I think that there is a desire here in the United States to see that approach um, being given more importance and it's not just i don't think it's not just the right thing to do it's the smart thing to do i think people will respond and have responded to us positively because we've taken that approach yeah and i mean this is it's so refreshing to hear this because um you know just not just coming from a from a business perspective but from a sports perspective i think and i take your point about there's some some systemic things that have been done or exist um in certain structures, certain businesses, certain franchises um, that make them incredibly hard to change or uh, can become Achilles heel to to some sort of change. And so to be able to start fresh um, with, with that purpose, obviously, was an incredibly powerful opportunity to, for you guys, but also one that therefore left you with a lot of responsibility um, to, to not mess it up because um, you, you needed to get that feedback. And so when you talk about harnessing the the magic um, of Oakland and you were having those conversations to try to understand what some of that magic was, what was some of the feedback that was coming back um, that enabled you to inform um, not just the purpose statement that you have, but actually how you've been able to bring that to life? So what was some of that feedback you were getting um, from all of those questions you were asking and the listening you were doing before you pushed the brand out? Yeah, I mean, you, you said it there when you talked about um, you have to get it right. I mean, Oakland is, and, and I've learned this since I moved here with my family about six years ago, it is the best and the worst place you could try to do what we're trying to do. Um, it's the best because um, it is full of the most brilliant, um, truly progressive thinkers in terms of how we reimagine our society to be more equitable. I mean, there are people here doing real work um, in unbelievably challenging circumstances, um, some of the most brilliant people I've met. So, it, it, and and the the city is steeped in a, a long history of the fight for social justice, for civil rights. Um, people have um, seen it, done it. They have very sensitive bullshit meters. Um, sorry for language. Um, yeah. and, and that's why it's the worst place. You know, you you cannot kid anyone here. You have to do it right, and and it's and it and it will hold you to account. Um, and, but, you know, that's also a good thing. It, it's, it, it really sort of sharpens your, sharpens your game. Um, you're under pressure all the time. You have to be authentic. I think that's the one thing that people 
want from their um you know from all their stakeholders but particularly their sports teams i mean they're, they're not the fans here they don't and again i'll you know making a comparison with coming from leeds um all right we're, we're we're good now but we've been terrible for a long time but you know we still stick with the team and i think that's the same here i think people um what they want is a team which which believes in them as much as they believe in it and they they can live without winning everything every season um as long as they have that and um and that's what they demand and then that's you know that is a that is a bigger demand for the team because you can always make an excuse as to why you didn't win a championship because you know there's only one championship winner every season uh that's a hard thing to do other teams will have more money other teams will have more luck whatever it might be um but you can't make an excuse for not being authentic so you really have to you have to deliver on that and that's that's a lot of pressure and you know there's been times when we when we haven't delivered on certain things um I like to think we've always been authentic, even if we weren't successful. Um, but that's that's you know that is a pressure, um, but it's a pressure we welcome. And and I think that the stuff we're learning here, um, and I know this is is informing others. You know, we have other teams asking us, how do we replicate your approach, um, or how do we learn from what you guys have done in order to build that that connection with the community? Um, in terms of what feedback we got, um, you know. My co-founder uses the term cultural anthropology for the for the research that we were doing. I mean, it's um, I wouldn't I wouldn't limit it down to any one specific. I mean, we, we use this term magic in our purpose statement and it's vague and, and that's intentional. You know, yeah. I think I think that I think that using the term magic provides this sort of um, very broad or big tent into which a lot of things can go because everyone defines it differently you know this 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 concept of what we're trying to capture and represent um and we would never seek to um narrowly define it on our terms it is, it is up to people to define it how they want but there is certainly a um a really special quality here which is a mix of um equity social justice creativity grit hard work multiculturalism diversity um all of these things which are encapsulated in in oakland um the good and the bad you know there are enormous uh, social challenges here um like in many places in the united states um and that is, that is all part of it you know and um and people are fiercely proud of it fiercely proud of it and we are trying to you know we for example it wasn't just the brand but even in terms of our value system for our organization which informs the technical team's decisions on which players we sign and our system of play even our system of play is informed by oakland our technical director will tell you that the type of food or the type of music that is in the bay area informs his vision on how our teams should play on the field because he wants a team that plays in a way that the community responds to even if even if they're not winning so it's mm -hmm. it's it, we're really trying to think about it in that level of detail um and we were fortunate i guess in that we had about three years where this thing was just an idea no one was putting any money into it and we were literally had the opportunity just to talk to people about the idea and we weren't trying to rush something out you know it was it was really a long long process of talking and late nights and you know pizza shops and and bars and um you know names on blackboards um and you know community events and, ju and just listening um and then like i said we were also fortunate enough to have people with the ability to translate all of that into something tangible um and 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 fortunate enough to have people respond to it yeah which is yeah which is which is magic and i um i like the fact that i like the fact that you weren't concerned about having um a very specific purpose statement that's not the the purpose of a person's purpose statement right it's there to be it's there to be inspirational it's there to be a, a call to action and to to galvanize people and to um to capture their imagination and be something that people care about and something that's memorable to them and something that's meaningful to them but it doesn't it's not a plan it doesn't have the you know all the, all the bullet points and things you need to deliver off the back of it because that's what might come through in a vision statement and a mission statement and a strategy um, but the, the point is, and why we call purpose fused, is that that these things have to be fused together, and that's something that obviously you've done very intentionally 
um, from the start. And so um, you've you touched on this a little bit already in terms of talking to some of the level of detail. Um, I think it'd be really helpful for people and, and insightful for you to share um, maybe some examples of how you've been able to embed the purpose, um, if you like, throughout the organisational system um, and, and beyond um, into the community and so on and so forth. But any things that stand out to you um, that you think are just that have been um, either good or bad tactics, things that you try to do that are, um, in an effort to embed purpose and, and how did it work and why did it work? or And if it didn't, why do you think it, it didn't work? Yeah, um, I and I will I will preface this by saying that all of this is a work in progress. None of it is complete. None of it is none of it is perfect. We haven't we haven't cracked the code completely. This is what we're trying to do um, because this is we you know we believe this is the way it, it should be done. So you're right. We have we have a purpose statement below the pur so the purpose is is the is the why. It's our it's our north star. It's why we all get up in the morning. Um, below that we have our mission our mission statement, which is the how we're going to do it, and then. One of the things that I talked about was building, I call it a purpose architecture um, of the organization so that everyone clearly understands what is our purpose, what is our mission, what are our values, um, what, are our, what are the habits that we want to see that will help us build our culture. And what I've tried to do, and this is quite a recent thing, is, is connect that structure with our organizational and departmental KPIs so that everyone in the organization, whichever department you're in, can understand how their daily work is contributing to the overall purpose. Um, I think what happens a lot in sports organizations and, mo and many organizations, but particularly in sports, is you have the front office, you have the players, and then you have maybe you'll have a foundation. You know, the players are there to win, the front office is there to turn that winning into money, and then over here somewhere is, is the foundation. It's completely disconnected. And the guy selling the tickets or the lady selling the tickets um, has no incentive to think about that when they're doing their daily work. Their incentive is sell this amount of tickets and you'll make this much co uh, commission. And it leads to problems um, and, it, and it leads to the type of problems we've seen over the last year where people are calling out the sports world, the sports business world and saying, you know, these values that you espouse, you're not living them. Um, and, it, and it's because um, people don't feel empowered to make purpose-driven decisions. And so what I've been trying to do as chief purpose officer um, is make sure that, you know, everyone in the organization understands their role in this overall purpose because it is everybody. You know, it, purpose is not a department. You know, we, we one of the things I've tried to do this year is, um, you know, people often use the terms purpose or community, you know, um, interchangeably. And, and they say community, and it, and it tends to mean um, anything that's not making money, basically, you know, the, the charity stuff. But community, I mean, why is that the case? Our community is our most important constituent. It's our most important stakeholder. And it encompasses everything that, that gives us life and makes us who we are. And so I've tried to make sure that everyone in the organization understands this stuff. I even I wrote it on the wall recently. You know, I wrote the whole kind of like purpose structure and the KPIs out, but then also introduced different artifacts and processes in the organization that help people feel empowered to make those decisions. And, you know, that includes how we screen for candidates for jobs, how we evaluate performance, you know, through our purpose lens, as well as through the straight business KPIs. I mean, that I believe they're the same. Don't get me wrong. Like purpose KPIs are just business KPIs, and there is, you know, there are ample data now to support that purpose-driven business approaches are more successful. And and we're slowly trying to, you know, bring everyone on side with that because I think sport has lagged in understanding that compared to other other parts of the business world. Um, so that's one thing, which is that when that, that's the sort of like very intentional daily work to make sure that people's everyday professional experience. Um, is guided and, and, and structured in a way that it, it doesn't rely on just individual people going, well, I need to make this decision, but I have a personal opinion on, on this or that, and I'm going to go one way or the other way. No, you should, you should know how our organization makes these decisions, because that's who we are. Um, and that ultimately is, is how we're going to be successful. Um, another thing is, is our commercial strategy. So one of the first things I did this year, um, and, and, you know, by the way, I've only been full-time in this role since the start of this year because I was doing other roles and, and 
um, was part-time up until January 1st. But one of the first things I did was to work with our chief revenue officer to redesign our commercial partnership strategy around our purpose. Um, again, it's the right thing to do, but it's the smart thing to do as well, because we are, you know, still a startup, essentially. We're, we're, we don't have a track record in the league that we've just gone into. We are a small player in a market with some absolute giants of the sporting world, Golden State Warriors, for example. How do you, we need commercial partnerships to survive. That's absolutely true. So what is, the, what is the value you're giving your commercial partners? Are you giving them a rate card where it's like, here's all the sponsorship assets we've got um, and you know, we can get your brand in front of 5,000 people? Well, that's meaningless to a, brand, a global multi-billion dollar brand. Um, so we had to, we, we basically said, well, let's, let's reimagine this whole strategy and let's think about um, what, what are brands actually looking for these days? Um, you know, are they looking for just another way to put an advert around the edge of a pitch for you know, 20 minutes? Um, why don't we you know, be a bit more um, authentic and, and transparent about it and say, look, let's just find brands which align with our purpose and see if what we've got, which is this kind of unique offering of being a community sports team, can help them with that. So we redesigned our purpose strategy around our purpose and around five core pillars where we think a sports team can actually add value in the community and then went to find partners that aligned with those pillars. Um, and that's been pretty successful. Um, we, you know, 10x our sponsorship income um, and brought in partners that, you know, I know because of how they've come to us, were interested in our purpose before anything else. Um, and we managed to turn that into into partnerships. Um, and and what we've got in terms of our ability to reach to the community and to tell stories and to create meaningful impact around this this very engaging thing, which is a community sports team is is appealing to commercial partners. Um, and as long as you design the partnership in the right way in an authentic way, then that can work really well. so that that I say would be another another success. And then I guess another one is, um, you know, we're, we're the first team in the United States to join Common Goal. Um, Common Goal is a movement created by the people I used to work with, so the sort of nonprofit space, and it's, it's essentially 1% for the planet, but for the soccer industry. So it's a few of the world's top athletes um, giving 1% of their salary to the Global Fund for Social Good. And um, what's interesting about it is, in the same way as 1% for the planet, it's saying, you know, we can do all the charity good we want. If we don't tweak the business model, then it's not going to be sustainable. And you don't have to tweak the business model very far in order to create real benefit and still make as much money as you could possibly need. Um, and we saw that as an opportunity to, to be the first entire professional team in the United States to join that movement where our players and our front office staff give 1% of our salaries, uh, plus we give 1% of sponsorship deals and ticket sales to common goal and it's an investment sure um but it's an investment with huge returns for us because you know the the ability for us to then be on this level and be in this global conversation would not be present for us if we if we were just trying to compete or be relevant on a sporting term um, whereas now we're part of this global family we're part of this very high profile movement and um and it also binds together the organization around this common purpose. It's not like, okay, we have a foundation which is doing some good over here. No, all of us are actually personally invested financially um, and then hopefully emotionally in the mission of the club. Um, and the, you know, one of the great outcomes of that was when we were discussing um, with the players and the, and the front office, you know, how do we want to use this investment? Um, it was clear that everyone felt that there was uh, there were some common challenges we, we needed to address and, and, and racism was high on that list. And so, you know, we said to Common Goal, we, we, we want to be the first team in the United States to join, but it's important to us that we are joining in a way which is going to impact an area we think needs more attention. Um, at that time, Common Goal didn't have any specific anti-racist projects. And we said, well, we will use our investment to create one. So here is here is our commitment and we would like you to find others to join that in order to create um a specific anti-racist project uh, and that's what happened and in february this year we launched the anti-racist project which brought together teams from across the professional leagues nwsl major league soccer 
there's more teams joining now there's professional athletes um and that was incredibly powerful and rewarding for us on every level you know to see us in the new york times that wouldn't have happened without this commitment and i think it showed people that through through you know a, a pretty small commitment on our side i mean it feels big to us but you know one percent is one percent um but by by kind of um investing in in others investing in something else investing in a purpose greater than us we actually generated much more return from us than we could possibly have of you know than, than, than is the worth of that investment so the returns are far greater than the investment and you know that project is now going to be rolled out this year and we'll be able to have our players involved in the implementation of an anti-racist project in their communities and they were the ones who helped start it so that's been gratifying and, and i think a big success for us well that, well that three three brilliant examples and what i appreciate about those mike is that you, you know starting off with the with the day-to-day -day attention to detail in terms of how people support each other how they hold them accountable how they're measured how those measures are integrated into the broader business measures is just business measures um because as you said the purpose measures should be no no different um but but it also speaks to the importance of these external partnerships and how purpose can be essentially a vehicle to help connect um connect you and, and one thing i've said for for a number of years since i've been in, in was in a similar role um on the commercial side um uh, of sports and rugby was that we have to compete where we can win and in a similar way to you guys you can't compete against all the big guys for eyeballs but you can compete on purpose because there's probably nobody that can live it in as an authentic way as you can and the reality is the big brands can create eyeballs and get them from other places what they want is impact and experiences and memorable um, and connection to the to the people and to those experiences and to that impact and demonstrating that their brand is is behind that and involved with it and part of it and that's incredibly valuable one of the challenges with it and and this is teeing up my next question is how do you measure some of this stuff mm. right so um i i i i got my own take on it um, but i'd be interested in t to know from your side what are some examples of the things that you're measuring as chief purpose officer that are creating your dashboard for for success um, for, for the Oakland Roots? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think that um, one of the things that I try to impress upon our ownership is our business metrics are part of our purpose metrics. Um, our, our sponsorship income is part of our purpose metrics. Like it is a direct correlation. It, it is, so our, our social impact, if you like, is important but don't be confused into thinking that that is the purpose outcome um when i think about our impact i'm thinking about the i mean the financial health of the organization um the the equity in our employees you know are our employees happy like do we do we ensure that we pay minimum wage at least in, in every in every role um sorry that that we don't have any roles that are below minimum wage you know what i mean um how do we track our race and gender demographics against um you know how do, how do we how do we track it first of all then how do we set targets how do we make sure that we have a diverse um talent pool for new jobs how do we hire for new roles how do we ensure that you know our community is represented not only in the team on the field but in the executive team uh, that's all purpose to me um i mean i think you um and then and then if you think about social impact um we you know i've come out of a 10 15 years working in a space where that was often a tricky question like how do you measure impact and you had the people you had a spectrum right at one end of the spectrum of the three five year longitudinal studies with academic institutions which are too long to have any you know practical application when it comes to finding sponsorships and then you have sponsors who will say, oh, just give me a ni nice couple of pictures for my annual report and I'll give you the money. Um, I think we all want something a bit more practical and, 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 and successful than either of those approaches. And there are, thankfully, now increasingly uh, people out there who can provide that. So we're working with an external firm 
which specializes in understanding how to aggregate quantitative and qualitative data to give you a, a picture of your of your output which is which is more holistic and that includes your community impact but it also includes things like equity statistics and you know how how your employees feeling and what's your demographic makeup all these things so they're actually creating a custom dashboard for us right now which involves us understanding like what are the things we're trying to measure first of all and then what are the what are the indicators of that and then how do we set benchmarks and how do we track against time so that's a process which is ongoing um and the next phase of that for me well there's a couple more phases for me one is there is there are also organizations out there which do a bit more kind of deeper work in both using organizational data but then also scraping social data which is available and, and being able to to quantify something which is which is difficult which is you know what what are sports organizations for what is the value they provide in a community and how do you measure that you know all these sort of cultural institutions a museum a gallery a concert venue a sports team how how do you you know quantify that value and the problem with the system that we've created in the world is that we don't quantify and value those things in the same way as we do purely commercial output um and that's a problem for us and it's got us to a point where you know the world is not in a great place so i i'm happy to see that there are now increasingly um both the data and the acceptance of the or the understanding that that value is more than just dollars and cents um and, and it's if you think about kind of value to a community especially that you need to consider other things so <clears throat> For us, when we believe that it's appropriate and we're at the at the suitable level of experience and impact, like that's where I want to take it. And then further than that, you have things like uh, B Corp certification. So <clears throat> the B Corp movement here is about um, <clears throat> really holding businesses to account in terms of how they operate across every level. So ensuring that you don't just have, you know, an, a nice a nice community project, but a terrible extractive supply chain. You have to you have to think about every aspect of your organization in that way. Um, that's probably phase three for us. Um, and you know some of these things, uh, particularly around sustainability and our environmental footprint, we're really at the beginning of the journey. But um, ultimately, the goal is to get to a point where um, you really talk about the value uh, of our of our company through a purpose lens. So it's not you know and, and you know our our financial success um, ideally, and even our sporting success is part of that whole concept It's not did we win did we lose did we make money what did we do in the community now, all, all of that is going to be is going to be taken together so there's the processes for us are um understanding what we're actually trying to do and what we're trying to measure working with people with the expertise if it's not in-house in order to understand how to do that effectively uh, and, and again thankfully there there are people out there who can do that and then and then moving kind of um as boldly as we can to a place where i mean as I, I talked about my ambition is is measuring us by the health equity and happiness of the city of oakland i mean that that's how i want us to be measured and winning or losing is in there um our technical director will have a different understanding of where it is um but it's not it's not number one um it, it's a big part of of our value but it's but it's not number one um but we believe that by focusing on this this higher purpose will actually be better across all of those metrics financial sporting everything we will outperform because we focused on the purpose yeah and 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 in order to measure the health equity and happiness of the community of oakland and, and at least the, the people that you're in direct contact with and able to to influence and and and, and engage with um that would be a pretty incredible organization measure for any organization of any size to have um but you guys are obviously you know on track because it's embedded right from the very start in what you're there to do um and that and that's you know that that's just i think a really powerful message for for anybody that's starting out um as an entrepreneur um or in a small business that has significant potential for growth what can you do now um to guide the impact that you want your organization to have even though you can't measure it right now but what actions can you take that start to, start to take little steps towards that every day? Um, two two last things. A couple of words you, you brought up. Um, one that um, was experience, another was impact. And uh, firstly, a clarification, I think, just for, for our listeners, which is 
I want to differentiate between social impact and purpose and foundations and purpose and community and purpose. Um, and you already did did that a little bit, Mike, but social impact is, a, is an outcome. Social impact is, is a long-term outcome, something you aspire to, um, something probably connects to your vision and, and to things, the, the impact you want your organisation to, to have on the world. Purpose is the, the foundational um, motivator and driver for getting there. It isn't the same thing. The community is a vehicle, a group of people you engage with to bring it to life. Um, and there's lots of other stakeholders. And so my, my question is, um, is around experience. Um, it's around stakeholders. Um, you've talked about the three parts of a typical professional sports franchise and how purpose can be a nice kind of North Star and anchor um, to unify them from, from, from the early stages. Um, when you start thinking about the broader stakeholders beyond those three segments of the organization that think about the fans thinking about the sponsors thinking about the community um but also thinking about the players and the front office and everything else um how has um have you been able to use your purpose to help kind of drive and galvanize that fan experience or sorry that experience that stakeholder experience which obviously is probably different for each stakeholder but have you been able to tie those into the purpose um, and make those meaningful experiences for some of those stakeholders that you feel you know is, is nudging you guys forward both in terms of the team performance um, but also the other broader organizational performance that you're measuring yeah i mean the the key to that initially was the game day experience um you know we are as we are a sports team we we exist because people want to come to game day um and it was important for us that that game day experience was felt like um, felt like Oakland, felt like a place where people wanted to come and hang out. And um, so, thinking about the brand, you know, where we played, you know, the 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 place we choose to play our games was a purpose driven decision. There are many many challenges, um, and you know, Google our first game of the season. You'll you'll see an example of that. Um, there are many challenges to where we play, but there's also many benefits in terms of the history of the location, where it's geographically located, how accessible it is. Um, and we make sure that that experience feels like something that's welcoming, that's for everybody that um, thinks about local vendors, local artists, that, that has a vibe which is very welcoming. Um, you know, everything to do with that experience was the, the physical embodiment of our purpose. And um, and that came at the end of a lot of, uh, you know, I mean, I, I used the term anthropology earlier. It's it's just showing up, basically. And you, there's no substitute for showing up. We showed up for a long time and talked to people and, and got to a point where people knew who we were and, 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 and trusted us and, and knew that we were going to be present at places. And that combined with the experience they had on game day, um, you know, other teams don't have um, rappers performing at you know minor league soccer, or they didn't. They don't throw out hot dogs into the crowd. They don't have mariachi bands or banders, or it's it, it was a different type of experience, and and that was the first phase. And then the second one was um, in 2020 when everything shut down, the pandemic, and then you know the racial justice protests that happened. Um, that was a really interesting moment for sports in general. And for us, it was, it was, um, it was easier for us to respond to that moment than other sports teams. I think at that time, and it seems crazy to think of it right now. You know, teams were not posting Black Lives Matter on their social accounts. Um, it was still there was still this period where teams were tying themselves in knots, trying to figure out how to not annoy one group of stakeholders by supporting another. And, and again, this goes back to the challenge of having a disconnect between what's at the heart of your organization and, and what you what you ostensibly stand for. It, that was an easier moment for us to respond to. Um, and I think people appreciated what we did during the, the quote unquote downtime. I mean, first of all, we were very grateful that we didn't um, have to lay anyone off. And this is thanks to our investors. During the pandemic, we didn't we didn't lay off a single person because of because of the pandemic. Um, we sort of doubled down on what can we do in the community, even though we can't play soccer. And, and so we stayed relevant um, during that time. And um, 
you know, provided people with interesting ways to engage with the team that were perhaps a little bit different from what other teams were doing and, and built this sort of trust that, um, that that was kind of who we are and what the, what the brand was. And, um, and constantly, you know, we're constantly trying to, to innovate and do things differently and, and think on a very ambitious level about um, how we behave and how we act and the types of, you know, um, we're fortunate to have some pretty high profile ambassadors or owners or, you know, people who've repped the brand um, and, and people, I think, have taken notice of that. And so, um, you know, I would say game day initially, or, you know, the, the physical manifestation of the brand through initially, initially merch. I mean, people often, if when we get people um, giving us grief on social media, it's often like, oh, you're a t-shirt company, you know, like they, 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 that, that, that is something that gets thrown at us. Um, but, you know, having a physical manifestation, having a physical way for people to interact with the brand is important. Um, and, you know, merchandise is part of that for us. Um, most of our merchandise is, is slightly different than just, you know, flogging a, a name on a shirt. Um, but then game day experience is, is vital. Our response, if you like, or our kind of like, um, you know, what happened during the pandemic and the way we sort of doubled down on our purpose and, and use that as a time to really, again, interrogate our purpose and think about the type of organization we wanted to be was part of it. Um, and then, you know, thinking deeply about the, the organization in terms of how we, how we show up, um, thinking about our player experience, what is our responsibility to our players, not only to just say, well, we're not going to punish you for having a position on civil issues, but how do we actually support you? How do we provide you with education? What is the experience we want our players to go through? How do we think about their mental health how do we think about their career post sports these are all things that we've invested in doing and and it we're, we're trying to build that relationship between the the community and the team uh, and this is something that was kind of like forged in 2020 when we couldn't even play soccer you know we couldn't even have the team do the thing that they normally do so how do we how do we ensure that we build that relationship in a way that people are going to care about this team where before they're even you know when they're not even seeing them. I mean, we haven't even played a game this year at our home stadium for for various reasons. You can look them up, and it's been it's been hard. But what has sustained us through that period is um, the connection that we've built with the community and, mm. and and the trust they have in the team. And this is where it pays off, right? This is where you this is where you see the benefit of taking this approach because if you were behaving purely transactionally, if the only value of the only relationship you have with your fans is come out on game day buy a ticket, buy, buy food and drink, and then go home, um, then, you know, you're not going to survive the challenging moments. So it, it, is, it is paramount to us that we, have that, that we have that at the heart of our value proposition. Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is, you know, when COVID hit and, and all of the social justice movements and everything kind of were culminating all at the same time, that the fact that you could, you know, show up, uh, authentically in a timely fashion in a relevant fashion and in a meaningful fashion meant you could do it you could just do it and and you didn't have to overthink it um other than the fact that all right well how can we support um our, our stakeholders that are all going through these challenges and how can we you know lead with our players support our players to help other people through the process so um I, my, i've got so many questions for you off the back of this i'm literally in the process of writing a white paper on um purpose-driven models for sports right around experiences but also around players and a number of the different things you touched on so we're going to have to completely have a sidebar on that and i'll, I'll need to get some quotes for you uh, from you for it as well but um but we, we we're close to time here so i do want to get to the last question which is um which is a personal personal question for you um and you can answer this um in one or two ways you can either just read off your own purpose statement if you have one um and then and, and then break it down if you like or or you can answer these questions directly but for, for individual purpose we simplify purposes um what we call purpose use formula so it's purpose um equals passion plus application plus impact um passion is what you care about what you believe in uh, what you enjoy um impact is how you want to show up in the world the difference that you want to make um on a me we and world level depending on your aspirations um 
and the application is the so what and um, what have you what have you been able to do and what are you able to do kind of on a day-to-day basis to get the intersection of those two things and actually make them make them a reality so um it, it, if you want to answer in a sentence or in one word or up to one sentence for each of those if you might get us was to define himself in terms of passion application and impact what would uh, what would you say uh, um the passion i think is is i often use the word humanity when i talk about why sport is important especially these days you know we we've we've spent hundreds of years constructing a society which essentially removes humanity um which which turns you know it focuses on turning individuals into um into factories essentially and and um, we've constructed a society which encourages us to deny our common humanity and and you know I think our our politics and our society today is a, is an example of that and everyone sees the value when you transcend that system whether it's through art or through music or through sport or anything that makes you fun- realize oh fundamentally we're all the same yeah of course we are of course we are and and I feel privileged to work in something like sport because it allows us the ability to cut through um, these these barriers, these divisions that society has created. And so, you know, working in a business which has essentially humanity at its heart is a privilege. Um, so humanity, I think, is the passion. Um, remind me of the other things, Mark. What were the other words? Application. An impact. Yeah, so Applica- application. Ap- how you bring it to life and impact is the yeah. same. Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, for a long time, I was focused on working at the biggest sort of macro level possible. And and one of the other things I love about sports, especially football, is it is the it is the biggest kind of macro thing that we've got. You know, it is one of the biggest common experiences on planet Earth, and allows you to think at a big scale um it's very transferable and i've i have been interested and i'm still interested in you know how do you do the most good um with the life that you've got so big scale and and big ambition has always driven me but then latterly i've also understood the value of going deeper and and you know really understanding the 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 yeah i guess the roots of issues and and one of the things that i've been fortunate about working for the roots is it's enabled me to understand the place in which i live and my family lives much better it's given me the ability to understand how the structures of our society work at the local level um and and it's it's really been a you know an education for me and and i think that doing the most good if that doesn't sound too trite or like making the biggest impact i I understand now that it's not just about kind of global you've got to think local as well and you everyone's just got to play your part and wherever you can make that change then that's that's meaningful um and you want to be as impactful as possible you want to uh you know i'm not going to use the phrase change lives because it's it's overused but but just you know contribute in a meaningful way to um making thing making the world a better place that is trite sorry but um you know that 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 is the impact for me is is doing things authentically um doing the most good you can making a real difference um that i guess is the is the so what it's on all of us to to do that especially those of us with with privilege of which i've had a a, you know more than my fair share how do we make sure that we're all every day in the process of making the world a more equitable place um that i think is 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 on all of us so that's, that's so Mike Gillis in nearly three words is <laughs> humanity, passion is humanity, his application is around contribution, whether it's at scale or, or locally, whether it's broad scale or whether it's narrow, narrow and deep, and that the impact is um, an authentic betterment of, of the world, more equitable, equitable world, is what that all drives to. There we go. Brilliant, Mike. Um, right, yeah, there's definitely a take two on this. Uh, well, not take two, part two. <laughs> Hopefully, we don't have to do a take two. Um, I really, I really appreciate your time. There's so many pieces of this that I think are so applicable, um, not just to other sports franchises and to national governing bodies and 
program design specialists and people in the sports-based social impact world that we both uh, we both came from, but but also to business um, and and so many other um, so many other areas because so much of this stuff in terms of the process and how you embed purpose at the core and especially at the beginning of a journey um, is applicable across the board. So really appreciate your time, Mike. Really appreciate your insights. Um, obviously, being involved with and following your um, career with interest um, over the years and and just you know genuine thank you for for what you do and i don't want that to sound trite um i, I mean it because it, i know it generally has changed lives and it has impacted communities and um and i think this next journey for you obviously is is an incredible way to do that where you live um you know where you've set your roots um and doing that through the, through an organization that's essentially blazing the trail for everyone else so um mike Geddes, thank you for your time today pleasure mark thanks very much take care mate cheers and learn more about the power of purpose at purposefused.com. Mm-hmm.